The struggle continues, everybody. The struggle continues. Aluta continua. And now you can get your very own Politocrat Daily Podcast Aluta Continua t-shirt exclusively at thepolitocrat.com online store. The Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. The proper web address is the-politocrat.myshopify.com. You can also go to thepolitocrat.com and scroll down. But to get directly to the store, it's the-politocrat.myshopify.com. New merchandise added on an almost daily basis. All designed by yours truly. So shop now and buy, buy and buy from the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Monday, March the 15th, 2021. On this edition of the Politocrat, a look at today's Academy Award nominations for the 93rd Oscars. Plus, a few thoughts on the documentary series Alan V. Farrow. All of that coming up next. The father, David Parfit, Jean-Louis Levy, and Philippe Carcassonne, producers. Judas and the Black Messiah, Shaka King, Charles D. King, and Ryan Coogler, producers. Mank, C.N. Chafin, Eric Roth, and Douglas Urbanski, producers. Minari, Christina O, producer. Nomadland, Francis McDormand, Peter Spears, Molly Asher, Dan Janvi, and Chloe Zhao, producers. Promising Young Woman, Ben Browning, Ashley Fox, Emerald Fennell, and Josie McNamara, producers. Sound of Metal, Bert Hemlink, and Sasha Ben Harosh, producers. And last, the Trial of the Chicago Seven, Mark Platt and Stuart Besser, producers. Those were the nominees for Best Picture, announced this morning from London, as the Academy Awards nominations were announced. Hopefully you got to hear them, but if you didn't, I will be replaying them as they were announced in full over two different bursts. So that is coming up, but the nominations this morning read out by Priyanka Chopra Jonas and Nick Jonas. And Nick Jonas, my goodness me, that outfit that he was wearing. My word, that gold. I mean, that was that gold suit 
yellow gold, like, like, like that gold gold that's yellow, not the gold, not, not old gold, but the yellow. Oh, my goodness. That was quite a number, quite a number. And they were both in London as they announced the nominations and did, I think, very, very well. Um, everything. I mean, there was only maybe one time and it was like a stumble over some word <laughs> out of a 20 minute thing. I think that they did excellent work in announcing the nominations. Now, first of all, before I go into any of all of that, I hope you're well on this Monday and I hope that uh, things are going as well as they can for you in these difficult days. For those of you who um, are out there struggling and going through a lot of things, know that um, there is an immense reservoir of support that you can find in hotlines and in people who can help you. I know that that seems very, the way I say that seems kind of, I don't know. But there is help out there for you. And you are, although it feels like maybe perhaps you may feel that you are alone in the world, you really are not. There are lots of people in the world going through, I would guess, probably exactly the same kinds of really difficult things that you may be going through. Although, of course, that is not what you're thinking about when you're going through those difficult things. So I do hope that the struggles and difficulties that you may be going through will lessen for you, will lessen for you in the days to come. And as they lessen, then that things change for you. And obviously um, you find something of some comfort and uh, uplift in these very difficult times. So I want to turn my attention now to the Academy Awards nominations. And look, I've, over the last few years, have really soured on the Academy Awards. Because, and, I, and I've known this for many decades. It's not as if I just realized this last weekend. But the Academy Awards is really an institution that is all about rewarding the next big thing, if you will. And having studio heads vie over you for your next contract. I know that's awfully cynical and reductionist. I'm simply saying that that's pretty much the truth. It's about making money off the next big thing, that next big star, that next big whomever. And it's about elevating that person by and large. Most of the times that we see the Academy Awards, the people who actually win those awards, and I'm talking now specifically in the acting categories, the people who win those particular Oscars, overall generally do not, have, have not done their best work, shall I say. I'm not going to say they don't deserve them, even though I would actually say that they don't. But I think to probably put this a little bit less crudely, although I'm capable of putting things crudely, they perhaps have done better work in previous films. And what's more, the people that they have competed against for the Oscar that they end up receiving have most likely done better work than them. 
I mean, I can point to a million examples of this. I can point to Sissy Spacek, who I thought was very good in the film In the Bedroom. She lost out to Halle Berry, even though Sissy Spacek had won the Screen Actors Guild Award that year. That was 2002 in which she won it. Uh, Halle Berry ended up winning the Oscar for Monster's Ball. And although I was happy for Halle Berry, I don't think the Academy made the correct choice that year. And there we have it. So there's lots of those. Denzel Washington getting snubbed from Malcolm X. There's no way anyone in the world can tell me that Denzel Washington was not the best actor that year at the Academy Awards. I mean, there's just no one that can tell me that in 1992, when he did, when, when it was released, when Malcolm X was released on the big screen, that he did not do his best work, not only that year of any actor, but his best work of his career. He still has not done anything as good, as phenomenal as Malcolm X. That will be his epitaph. I'm sorry. There's nothing that Denzel Washington is ever going to do now as an actor, as a thespian, that is going to surpass what he did with Malcolm X. It's just not going to happen. There are actors I can point to everywhere who have delivered their best work in that one film. Marlon Brando's, for example, was on the waterfront. That was by far his best work. It was far better than The Godfather, which I quite frankly think his performance in that is tremendously overrated. I can think of people, you know, Paul Newman. You know, I can think of Glenn Close. And by the way, Glenn Close will be coming up again later on for a very good reason. Glenn Close did some excellent work in films that she didn't get to pick up Oscar with. She still hasn't picked up an Oscar, but this may change this year. But we'll, again, I've spilled the beans there a bit, but we'll get into that. I'll get into that in a, in a few minutes. But the point is, is that rarely does the Oscar go to the person who really merits it. And because it is an industry, this goes, this goes back to my original point, that this is an all, this is all an industry backslapping thing. I mean, I guess you can make the case that any film awards show is an industry backslapping thing, but I don't necessarily think so. Particularly when it comes to the Academy Awards, the Oscars, it is though an industry backslapping thing. And it, my point is that the people who generally win it are not the people who are generally the best performers of that year. And the people who are winning it are winning it for other reasons, political reasons. And, you know, the reasons being some of those is that on a cynical level, there are Hollywood studio executives and people in the industry who are looking at justifying the next big thing. And if it's an Emma Stone and if it's a whomever, I'm sorry, I just picked her name out by random. Um, but maybe not, because I want to talk about that also in a later portion of this particular podcast. And I'll explain later. But this is what happens in the industry. It's, and I, I'm not going to use the word that begins with G and ends in G. Because you know what word that is. It has the word groom in it. And 
they are cultivating, let me put it that way, what, what's happening with some of the people, with many of the people who win, not all of them, but many of them, is they are cultivating these individuals so that they can go on and star in seven other pictures and seven, you know, films, seven other films, several other films and make a career out of it. Normally it should be, okay, you've won, congratulations, bingo. Now uh, don't put your daughter on the stage, Mrs. Worthington. You know, I mean, I'm just, you know. In other words, you've won the Academy Award. You can now go home and good luck to you in your next film or films in the rest of your career. But it's all about marketing and making money because the Academy Awards say, let's say Jude Law, I think is a good example of this. Um, did he win an Oscar? I don't even think he did. He win for the talented Mr. Ripley. God, I can't believe I don't remember whether he did or not. Uh, I don't think he did. Oh, dear. Someone who and I should know this. I've been f covering this stuff and pretty much know this stuff inside out, but not now. So that doesn't make me much use to you at this moment, because I can't tell you whether, off the top of my head at least, and I'm not looking it up, I, I try not to look any of this stuff up at all, um, whether or not Jude Law won for the talented Mr. Ripley. Um, I'm not sure whether he did or not, but the point is, let's say he did, for the sake of argument. You'll now then see, after that, five different films with Jude Law in them. I mean, he will just be in all these movies. And it's not necessarily just because... It may not be because he's got this great agent. It may be because they want to expose him so they can make him this big star. It's a star-making thing. Winning an Oscar is a star-making thing. And then you'll see him in this movie and that movie. Academy Award winner, Jude Law. And, you know, that will just keep going. And it's a selling tool to sell their pictures. I'm telling you. That's what the Academy Awards are. They are a gateway to Hollywood studios selling their pictures in the future, their films. I say pictures, Scorsese says pictures. I think that's why I'm saying it, because I interviewed Martin Scorsese briefly on the red carpet a couple of years ago uh, when The Irishman was just coming out in late 2019. And, and one of the things he always says is pictures, picture. And I now am finding myself saying that, a two-year delayed reaction to that, but... That's what this is about. It's a selling point. So you put that word Academy and award and winner in a sentence next to or above the, the line, above the title of the actor's name, and that sells. That's a selling tool. Some people will look at that and say, Ooh, oh, they won the Oscar. I better go see this movie because they must be really good in it. And then to their chagrin, yours truly, they come out of the movie theater and go, well, Two years ago, they come out of the movie theater and go, really? He won the Oscar for that? All of that is to say that that is what the 92 previous years of the Academy Awards have been. There have been, of course, some people who really won, who really did deserve to, but many other times when I pick um, a year, I think, no, that person should not have won, you know? I, I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow should ever have won for Shakespeare in Love. Now, Judy Dench, I thought, was pretty good, and I think she merited hers, although she's done much better work. But there's no way in America or anywhere on the planet, for that matter, that Gwyneth Paltrow should have won. No way in America. In fact, 
And again, people will disagree with me on this. I don't think Colin Firth should have won for the King's speech. So sue me. I don't think he should have. Jeffrey Rush, I believe, won for the King's speech as well that year. And I think he was more deserving if he did win. I think he did. That was his second Oscar. I don't think Sean Penn should ever have won for Mystic River. I mean, these are relatively recent within the last 20 years or so um, that I'm thinking of these in these performances. There's no way that Sean Penn should have won for Mystic River. I mean, absolutely no way. Now for Milk, when he won for playing the San Francisco Board of Supervisors um, politician Harvey Milk, yeah, he deserved it for that. He was very, he was excellent. And he really did capture who Harvey Milk was. And of course, you know, Harvey Milk was um, really uh, tragically and appallingly, he was assassinated uh, in, I believe, 1978 here in San Francisco and sits inside of City Hall, along with the mayor at the time, George Moscone. And, he was, and they were both killed, assassinated by Dan White, who actually used a Twinkies defense, would you believe? Um, that seems very popular amongst the people uh, who are toxically masculine and in power, like a Dan White, who was also on the same San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And also, this is something that the, the police officers, white police officers, white male police officers have used. I think Stephen Sullivan used that, or whomever. The, the, the cop who shot and killed Eleanor Bumpers, a grandmother in her 60s or 70s, and uh, said that he, he had too much sugar. I mean, there was a racist recently that... Uh, who was on a one of his own broadcasts doing play-by-play. And there were um, basketball players from this woman's team or high school team, female high school team, and they were taking a knee in support of Black Lives Matter and eradicating racism. And it was two of the, two of the, uh, two of the players on the team were doing this. And he started on the air live cursing out and using N and saying F and N and all this other stuff. And then said, well, my sugar levels, my blood sugar was high. I mean, this is so disgusting and onerous. And you're using some lie and some BS to make an excuse for your racism. I mean, talk about people not taking responsibility. And you know, these are the same people that will tell you, oh, you black folk have to take responsibility. You're not responsible. And and of course, you know, Turns out, not only are we responsible, but you've got these racist white commentators talking about FNNs. I mean, give me a break. Anyway, I divert only to come back to these Academy Award nominations today that were held. Now, it was an historic day today for many reasons. There was, and I'm going to start with, with women. For the first time ever in the 93 years, you have to understand, the Academy Awards began to be handed out in roughly 1927. 1927 was the first year of it. <clears throat> excuse me and that is when it all started and for the first time in 93 years because we're talking about the film year um so that makes sense the 2020 film year would be this year 
because the Academy Awards are all now, um, they always take place now at least in the, the year after for the previous year's actual films, which makes sense. And so for the first time in 93, nine, three years, two women, Dos, Due, Zwei, two women were nominated for Best Director. And that's a really great achievement. Uh, I think it should have come a whole lot earlier than 2021. But I definitely am applauding the two directors who made it into that list. And of course, those two directors are Emerald Fennel and Chloe Zhao. I think that that was a really great thing to hear their names this morning. Now, as I always say, there are snubs and surprises, and there were a few today. But one of the snubs, in my view, was Regina King. Regina King did not make the final five for achievement in directing. And I really don't know why. Well, I do know why. I think I know why. But I I, I just don't understand how a film so marvelously directed as that one was doesn't make this final five. Now, I will say full disclosure, which is unusual for me in terms of films uh, not seeing them. I did not get to see a number of these films. I mean, this pandemic, my routine about film watching and as, as a film critic changed drastically over the last 12 months. But having said that, I do have a 10 best films list, which I will disclose at some point later today. And maybe I'll talk about it sometime um, tomorrow. Um, on this particular podcast, but maybe, maybe not. But I know that I did not get to see, and I can, I still have the ability to see all of these films because I have had all of them um, sent to me as a voting film critic. And um, I did not vote this past year um, for these films because I just didn't think, quite frankly, it was a good idea to, and also the pandemic and also i just got to be honest, my soul was not into getting involved in um, getting excited about films when, quite frankly, there are a good many millions of people who, you know, people, I mean, I guess it's going to sound uh, however it sounds, but I had no investment in, in this when there's so much, so much suffering going on. And this happens anywhere and at any time, regardless of what year it is or whether there's a pandemic. But this particular past year, I didn't really feel comfortable doing that, to be honest. But there you have it. But now here we are. And the pandemic itself, I think, uh, is definitely a big factor here um, for me. But I think that there's no way you can leave off Regina King. But the Academy disagrees with me. They left Regina King, who won an Oscar the year or two before that for her supporting actress performance in the film If Beale Street Could Talk. That's Barry Jenkins. Thank you very much. And there's no way I think that 
Regina King should have been left off there. And also, I, I, I'm just really stunned by that. And Thomas Vinterberg, who I like as a director, for a film called Another Round, I'm not so sure that that's where I would have gone. If I were an Academy member, I would not have gone there. Having said that, here are the best um, director nominees. Another Round, I've just mentioned that, Thomas Vinterberg, Mank by David Fincher, Minari by Lee Isaac Chung, Nomadland, Chloe Zhao, and Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennel. I'm really pleased with Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennel on that list. They are, wow, I saw both of those, I can tell you. And those two films are very good. Very good. I mean, I think No Man Land, No Man... This is difficult to say, would you believe? Nomad Land is, I think, real quality. Promising Young Woman is a good film. I don't think it's a great film, so I should dial back on my praise. It's a good film, and I think it is a well-directed film. But whether it's a great film or one of those films that is the best of the year, I would hesitate to say that. But it's a film that I urge you to watch. And also Nomadland, if you're able to get these on streaming platforms, please take a look at them. And I know that they are, some of them are available to rent, to buy, whatever it is, but you've got to watch these certainly before April the 25th, which is the date of the Oscars. Minari, I, I literally have not seen it yet, but I, I, I can see it and I will get to watch it very soon because I have it. I mean, it's here. Um, but the point is, is that I was very pleased with the directing category inclusion of Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennel. I mean, they did phenomenal work. Chloe Zhao in particular, my goodness me, if she doesn't walk away with the best director statuette um, next month, there's going to be an inquest there will certainly be some kind of inquest going on as to why she didn't, because she's going to become only, in my view, she's going to become, I mean, I'd, I'd be shocked if they don't give this to her. Um, she's going to become only the second woman in the 93-year history, that's what I'm predicting, to win the Best Director Oscar. I, I just, that film was beautifully directed. I want to go now to a category of interest, and that's best performance by an actress in a leading role. And like I say, I don't like to use the actress, actor. They're all actors. Um, but I'm only doing saying the words actress because this is how the Academy designates the performers. What I prefer, and I've said this before, is that the like what the Screen Actors Guild do, which is to say, male actor and female actor, which is really the way it should be in the Academy and all these other awards shows, but they don't do it that way. They go to the old-fashioned way. Performance by an actress in a leading role. And I'm only going to... I'm going to play all of these through as they were announced, but I'm only going to mention a couple of categories and analyze them um, to just point out a couple of things. Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day in the United States versus Vinnie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand in Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. Now, when I spoke with uh, Tim Gordon in yesterday's episode of this podcast, I had mentioned Vanessa Kirby, and I felt that 
Vanessa Kirby could be one of those actors who would fill that fifth slot or whatever. I mean, I, I hate to say that like she just got put into the fifth slot. She could have been put into the first slot, you know, for all I know. But I felt that Vanessa Kirby did a very good job in Pieces of a Woman. And I do, and I did feel that there was a possibility that she could get on that list. And Tim and I had a disagreement about that. Um, he had felt that her momentum seemed to wane and that her momentum and her initial, any kind of initial buzz around Vanessa Kirby had died down considerably over the months. And so therefore, um, the chances of her being remembered and recognized, remembered enough to be recognized um, on March the 15th, which is where we are today, um, was going to be, you know, probably highly unlikely as far as he saw it. I think that's a fair representation of what Tim said. Uh, if you want to hear our conversation about the Black Reel Film Awards, which is uh, the the the, uh, the uh, event that Tim does, um, which is really good, really showcasing black performers in, in the awards that he does. And if you want to listen to us talk about that and about the predictions and the expectations that we had for today, then please check out the podcast episode from yesterday when we do have that conversation. And I ultimately turned out to be correct about Vanessa Kirby. I mean, I had said, it's either going to be Vanessa Kirby or it's going to be Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie. Now, unfortunately, the Academy did not include Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie. And I think that her name here would have been great but what you had is a very competitive field. That's what this was about. You had a very competitive field of performers this year in the best actress category. There are others that you could have put in here that weren't here either. Um, and the one thing I would say about these performances, Carrie Mulligan was really good in Promising Young Woman. She took that character that she played to places that I've never seen Carrie Mulligan take characters that she plays. And I know it's based on the script. Obviously, these characters are based on how they're written and this, that, and the other. But I'm just talking about the acting that she did the kinds of things she did in the performance to get us to witness this character. And again, I'm not going to give anything away for those of you who have not seen Promising Young Woman. Um, what Mulligan does in that film with that character is so good and completely, completely within the realm of what I would call excellent, excellent technical performance. And the way the film is directed by Emerald Fennell, whom I mentioned a few minutes ago, you would think that what you're seeing is somehow some kind of gimmick, but this is not a gimmick. It's really well constructed. The performance and how Carrie Mulligan puts that character together, you got to watch it. you got to watch it. You really do. So that's what I have to say about Carrie Mulligan. Viola Davis in uh, 
Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Now, that's available on Netflix right now. Please go and watch it. The only thing I would say about Viola Davis, who is excellent in the title role, is that it's a supporting performance. I mean, I'm really not giving anything away here. It's really a supporting performance. And this is Viola Davis's fourth Oscar nomination. She was nominated for Doubt years ago, a few years back. She was nominated for The Help in the Best Actress category. She should have won for that. There's no question about it for me. She should have won. She lost out to Meryl Streep, her friend Meryl Streep, in The Iron Lady. And I don't think that that was one of Meryl Streep's better performances, although she was very good as Margaret Thatcher. Um, Had me throwing tomatoes at the screen, but, you know. Uh, but I still don't think that she should have um, taken the Oscar that year. That was really Viola Davis's Oscar. But then Viola Davis would end up winning the Oscar a few years later when she won for Fences in the supporting actress role. That in the category of the supporting actress, that that was a shoe in. She was so very good in that, and that was just you know Viola Davis should have two Oscars right now. I mean, let's be honest, and she could well have a. Third, uh, a second Oscar um, coming up next month. But it's going to be very, very tough sledding for her because she's got really good competition here. Andre Day in the United States against Billie Holiday is that tough competition, as is Vanessa Kirby, who I already talked about, as is Frances McDormand in Nomad Land. McDormand was excellent, let's be honest. If you've not seen Nomad Land, please watch that film and watch. Frances McDormand. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Now, Frances McDormand has already won the Oscar twice. Uh, so I'm not necessarily going to get into all the predictions once we've, you know, already. Let these nominees, Omar, have their moment. Let them, let them flourish and enjoy. Do not start talking about predictions already, man. <laughs> this is their day, man. Let, let them do their thing and enjoy. Commence au festival. <laughs> have, your, have your day. And um, I know, I know. Uh, the predictions will come at another time. But I'm just saying that McDormand has won two Oscars. She's won for Fargo. Those of you who remember Fargo from the mid-1990s, she won for that. She won for a film called Three Billboards. That's the short title of the movie and I didn't like Three Billboards she won that Oscar three years ago not very long ago Best Actress Oscar and in my view her role was this excuse my French shit kicking woman who had had enough of a lot of things that go on in that movie and also Sam Rockwell won for that movie as well for playing this so called reformed racist <laughs> Because that's who they always give the Oscar to, the white guy who <laughs> develops a conscience. and Because we all want to feel better about ourselves as, as, as white people who are afflicted with something called racism or at least deny it and pretend it doesn't exist. And so let's give the Oscar to him because it makes us feel better about who we are. And then we don't have to really face who we really are, or what we hide and lie about in our lives when it comes to racism 
and institutional racism and anti-blackness. We don't have... So that's what they do. It's like the whole non... The canard, the whole nonsense that, you know, one of the, uh, at the time, Academy president, the Academy president at the time, told me, told yours truly, down in Los Angeles, when I went down there to do some press interviews or to interview people for uh, the popcorn reel, my uh, film website, which I will be revamping with some additional new material, which has not been put on that website for many a month. And I went down there to Los Angeles a few years, well, years back, and there was a certain Academy president who told me to my face, no, there's no... There's no politics in the Oscars. <laughs> ah, told me that with a straight face, everybody. And so, <laughs> so you know, this is this is what happens, right? These are the these are the things. But I want to get back to the best actress because you know, best actress McDonald was excellent in Nomadland. And I think in any other year, she would win. And this is the film she should be winning for. And she may yet win that third Oscar. But this film is the one she should win for. She should not have won for three billboards. That was a, that was a cartoonish role. It really was. It was very flat. Now, there are film critics listening to me who will agree. There are film critics who are probably listening who would disagree. There are people who are listening probably who've seen that film and thought that she was excellent. And there are people like me who didn't. I don't think she was great in Three Billboards. It was another kind of... what I, I mean, and I love Rosie the Riveter. But what I saw on the screen was this reenactment of Rosie the Riveter, except in, you know, real manifestation and taken to the extreme. I, I, I just really did not like that film for lots of reasons that I'm not going into here. Don't want to have this podcast be three hours long as opposed to two. But this is the thing. I, I really uh, have a real issue with that movie. But Nomadland, oh, dear, oh, dear, she was so good. Frances McDormand is really good as an actor. Having said what I just said about Three Billboards, Frances McDormand is very good at what she does. She's very good. She really is. And this is the film she should be winning for, but I don't think she's going to. You've got to look at people like Andre Day and Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan was really good in Promising Young Women. But I think Andra Day as Lady Day. Woo-wee. I cannot remember a performance as excellent as that. I think the only film that I can remember in recent years where a performer was as good as Andra Day was, quite frankly, another legendary someone who played another legendary singer. <laughs> you remember Marion Cotillard, Marion Cotillard from France, who played Edith Piaf, or Edith Piaf, I, the, the proper pronunciation of the French legend. But that is what 
and who I went back to. I think, well, gosh, this is another situation. I'm not comparing the two performances. And I'm not going to say, well, this is the Marion Cotillard performance. That's the lazy way of doing it, right? When you compare, when you, you look at something that's really good and then you, you put some level of greatness on it by slapping someone's name on it. Well, that was the, you know, Babe Ruth of... No, it's not the Babe Ruth of anything. It, you know, Babe Ruth, of course, was a legendary baseball pitcher and hitter for the... Well, pitched for the Boston Red Sox. And then um, for the New York Yankees, was just outstanding with the baseball bat. But hitting home runs for fun before Hank Aaron, who passed away earlier this year... Uh, broke his record in 1974. Um, but this was the thing, right? This is the thing, is that I thought again of Marion Cotillard's performance, where she was just so good that year for playing Edith Piat in La Vie en Rose. So good. She was so far ahead. And again in this particular year, I think of... Andre Day. She was just so good in the United States versus Billie Holiday. And that film is available on Hulu. I leave it up to you, dear listener, to watch that film. You really should. Um, directed by Lee Daniels, who I'm not the biggest fan of, like Tim Gordon has also pointed out, he is not the biggest fan of Lee Daniels. But I think Lee Daniels actually does a decent directing job, even though there's a lot going on and there's some things about what Lee Daniels does in his movies with his characters that I do not like. I really don't. And he, he does it in every movie and it annoys and it really dismays me. <laughs> and I can't tell you what that is because if you haven't seen his films or if you haven't particularly seen the United States versus Billy Holiday, if I said anything about what he does, it would spoil it. So I'm not going to. But what I am going to do right now is take this break and come back with one other observation before I go on to a very interesting chalice that may or may not be poisoned. I'm talking about the Allen versus Farrow documentary, which wrapped up last night on HBO and HBO Max. But the Academy Awards, my look at the nominees continues right after this. McCoy, the hustle. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you very much for listening. Um, so, yes, just a couple, actually. It's two more categories I want to talk about. One of them is the one that features Glenn Close. I did say earlier that I was going to talk about her. Well, because she made it back on the nominees list. And a hearty congratulations to all of the nominees in these 93rd Academy Awards and, and to Glenn Close included for her performance in Hillbilly Elegy. Now, I've not seen that film, so I cannot speak on it, but I am glad to see Glenn Close here, and I do think that Glenn Close may well win this thing. 
Um, even though I've not seen <laughs> the movie. I've not seen any of the movies in this category. Borat, the second movie, which I can, I can see all of these and will get to see all of these shortly. Uh, I mean, this is not an issue. I just have not, as I said earlier, have not had the chance, just, um, just for a million reasons, um, to get invested in this with what's going on in the world. And again, I know that sounds like whatever it sounds like to you, but sincerely, to with everything that's been going on, it just doesn't seem right to be talking about Oscars even, <laughs> to be honest with you. It just, to be honest, uh, I'm being honest with you. It's a bad habit. Isn't that a bad habit when people say, to be honest with you? So that implies that they are lying all the other times that they don't say that. <laughs> it's a bad habit. It's a really bad habit, that is. And I'm starting to pick that habit up now on this episode. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Um, I've not seen these five performances. Maria Bakalova uh, in the Borat movie, the second movie. It's a long title. Good grief. <laughs> That's my, that might be the longest title in the history of movie titles. Bora, subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bribe to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. That might be the longest title in the history of movies. If you can come up with a, if you've, if there's a one you know that is a longer title than that, please email politocratpod at gmail.com. Please email and, and let, and I'll take a look. I would like to hear this, the, uh, and it's got to be a real one, not something you just made up. <laughs> Please promise me you will, uh, but I'm sure that you won't find it. Glenn Close and Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Kelman in The Father. Olivia Coleman won just a few years ago in The Favorite, a film I didn't care for, um, although I thought her performance was brilliant, and I thought that the performances of each of the women in that film was just super. Herb, I thought they were all good, including Emma Stone. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm La La Land. I, I just cannot help myself. I'm really sorry, but La La Land, she should never have won for. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Emma Stone should never have won for La La Land. And not only for the performance. You know why she also shouldn't have won? is because of that horrible speech she gave in the acceptance speech. That was an... <laughs> she should never have won for La La Land. Never. And Emma Stone, I'm sorry, that, uh, that performance in La La Land was just... I mean, and you think about the other films that... Uh, anyway... <laughs> I am prone to divert to something that really does capture um, the way I'm feeling about certain things. But I think those of you who have come to expect these expected, unexpected interruptions have been able to put up with it for now. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't still be listening. But thank you again for listening. I mean, I really appreciate it because there are lots of better things you could do um, with your day 
uh, or your evening or your night or whenever you listen to this podcast. I do thank you for that. Your loyalty is everything. Um, as I begin this second year, this is the second, the start of the second year of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. After yesterday's one year anniversary, now March the 15th, 2021, a new year begins for the Politocrat Daily Podcast. So thank you, thank you, and thank you. To Olivia Coleman won for the favorite just a few short years ago. It must have been just two two years ago now, I think it was. Two or three years ago. I think it was two years ago. She won in 2019, as best I can remember. And then Amanda Seyfried, I think that's her first nomination in Mank. Uh, congratulations to her. I've had a chance to speak to her years ago in person. Um, really open and honest person, too. Uh, and, you know, she really is very, very much a very reflective person for someone that I think is still quite young, very young. Um, and she's grown in the industry. I, I think that she's good. I think that she's got more good work to come. And I'm excited about her career now. I think that um, this will, no matter what happens on the night, she will certainly get. And again, this is about industry rewarding people with more work. And she'll definitely get more work. And I think, it, and again, I've not seen Mank. I've not heard great things about Mank, but I will watch it. And so I can be better educated. And Minari as well, Young Jun Yoon. Now, listen, again, we've got another person who is Asian in these nominees. I am really pleased about that because I said this the other day, maybe on this podcast or elsewhere, that there just aren't enough Asian actors on these lists. The Academy is not doing that. And we've seen Asian actors for decades doing great decades. And the racism against Asians in Hollywood, oh boy. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. If you look at the that oh my well can we start with the Charlie Chan films, please? Or not please? I mean phew. Frightful, I tell you, frightful. And the Native Americans, don't get me started. And you know about black people and how Hollywood has absolutely demonized us from day one. And Klan recruitment went up with the birth of a nation back in 1915. Klan recruitment went up in the United States as a result of that film. Seriously. No movie is ever just a movie dear listener. And I think that you're obviously aware of that. When you look back at some of the films that have had this kind of impact and what those films are really saying, especially that one, The Birth of a Nation, not to mention Gone with the Wind. Oh, dearie me. Anyway, I want to, I hate to say transition with an anyway, um, but I do say here, that in this category, Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy, even without seeing it, I have a feeling that she's going to win this Oscar. I need to see the movies, though, because Glenn Close has Glenn Close has been nominated at least seven times now. This will be, I think, her sixth or seventh nomination. She was nominated for The Wife uh, three, or three or so years ago, three or four. She should have won for that. I think it was about three years ago now. She was nominated for that. She should have won for The Wife. She should have won. She didn't. She didn't win. I mean, it's just unreal. 
I think the academy, and I was talking to someone about this recently, and we came up with the ideas that we don't think the academy likes Glenn Close. I mean, my gosh, all the stuff that she's been nominated for, and the stuff, and she just came away with nothing out of the academy. I mean, we know about Fatal Attraction. We know about Dangerous Liaisons. We know about a number of other movies. I think she was nominated for Jagged Edge, too. I'm not sure. But if she wasn't, um, it's just she's done so much good work over the years. And it's a truly it's truly a sin not to have her as an Oscar winner. Again, Oscars aren't everything. And I've got a lot of problems with the Oscars. I've made it very clear about the Oscars. They are not the be-all and end-all in my world, and maybe not, and I doubt, in your world either. They are, again, I've said it a million times here today on this episode, that they are about rewarding the industry with opportunities to make more monies off of someone who has won. I'll put it that bluntly, that crudely, and that cynically, and that truthfully, because that is the truth. And it's not about necessarily the craft it's about the money making opportunity that these studios have to make a mint promoting a movie with the person who won the oscar being in that next movie i mean let's no one few people would admit that but that's the truth though there are people who would admit that but that's exactly what's going on so there's that and then finally let me before I uh, overstay my welcome here <laughs> on my episode on my own podcast <laughs> let me talk briefly well briefly about these two other categories so I've actually told you two lies so maybe that to be honest thing is <laughs> is a thing <laughs> because I said it would only be one category then I said it would be two now it's three and the other two categories to go along with the one I just spoke about which is supporting actress are the two lead and the lead and supporting male categories. I'm very pleased about Riz Ahmed for for actor in the leading role. Sound of Metal, which I haven't seen. Long overdue, Riz Ahmed has done good work forever. And finally, the Academy has recognized him. Chadwick Boseman, the late great Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. He was superb in it. And... I know that Tim Gordon and I talked about this yesterday in the episode. I I didn't fully answer the question that Tim posed. Would we be talking about Chadwick Boseman's performance in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom the same way if he were alive? And I my answer is yes. I actually do think that he would be nominated for this too. I think he would absolutely be nominated for this. Given all the work behind the scenes that Cheryl Boone Isaacs, the uh, former Academy president, then the Academy president a few years back started, and then Ava DuVernay and others behind the scenes of the Academy to get a more diverse, inclusive uh, uh, nominees list, a more diverse and inclusive membership list at the Academy. Um, I think the answer would have been yes. I totally think that had Chadwick Boseman still been here with us today, I think he would be very pleased with this news. He would be waking up with a smile on his face, I'm telling you. Uh, I am very confident in that. He was very good in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. You can go and see for yourself um, on Netflix. And even though Anthony Hopkins is going to be very strong competition in The Father, uh, Gary Oldman in Mank, I was not, eh, you know, again, I've seen clips of the Mank. I've not seen the movie. I've seen clips. And the clips I saw, I was not impressed with Mr. Oldman, um, who I've, I've spoken to 
in the past for his excellent work in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which he should have won for, not for that that pantomime performance as Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. I do not think that should have been Gary Oldman's Oscar. You know, again, uh, also issues uh, with Mr. Oldman off screen. Some of the things that he is uh, has allegedly done uh, regarding women um, that, uh, you know, in terms of abusiveness, which I am definitely not here for. Um, I will never, I don't care if I've spoken to them or not. I will never sanction that. I will never be down with any of that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I have to tell you, uh, I, I feel strongly enough about that to refuse to talk to people like this again. Um, because, sorry, any kind of participation with these people, especially now that you know that they have been accused or actually have done this, is complicity. I mean, that, that's the way I look at it. So you've got Hopkins, Oldman, Stephen Yoon, who becomes the first Asian male actor to be the first Asian man in 93 years of Oscars. Can you imagine? 93 years of nominations. And this is the first time that an Asian man has been included in the best actor nominees for Oscar. How about that? I mean, I don't know whether to celebrate that or weep because I'm very happy for Stephen Yun and I haven't seen Minari, which I really should, and I will. But I know that Stephen Yun has done great work for years. I've, looked, I've watched his career on a number of... I've followed his career. And this, this guy routinely does great work. Routinely, and he never gets looked at. He doesn't even get looked at. He doesn't even get window shopped for his work. I'm telling you, at least not on the big screen. He doesn't, you know, but Stephen Yeun is a really good actor. And so I'm really pleased for him. I'm pleased for him and Riz Ahmed as well. So they get their due. Um, Maureen's Black Bottom. You've got to watch Chadwick Boseman. I think Chadwick Boseman's going to end up with this Oscar posthumously. It will be accepted by a member of um, his family, probably his widow, um, you know, I mean, and it will be deserved. I don't think there's good because people will go, oh, well, you only give it to him because he's not here. Well, no, no, no. You watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Just the same thing with Heath Ledger when he did The Dark Knight and he played the Joker. He had passed away. He won the Oscar. And I think family members um, came up to the stage and accepted it posthumously. And I think it's going to happen again here for Chadwick Boseman, who played a superhero himself, by the way, although I wouldn't call Joker a superhero for uh, for the sake of this conversation at all. Um, but in the case of Black Panther, very much so. And I think this would be a really lovely send off and a real lovely tribute to Chadwick Boseman, who was actually a very decent person, which you don't get a lot in Hollywood or in politics. Or in my profession, <laughs> uh, you know, lawyers who, uh, oh, I, that's a whole nother story. Oh, my gosh. The kinds of people you have to deal with. I mean, in your profession, too, it's not just mine it, it, or, or, the, or film or politics. This is in every profession you get. Well, I'll just leave that alone. So those in the other in the other category is the supporting actor category. 
Sasha Baron Cohen and Daniel Kaluuya and Leslie Odom and Paul Rossi and Lakeith Stanfield. Now, the thing about this category that jumps out at me is that you've got two actors from Judas and the Black Messiah, who, by the way, by the way, that movie you have to watch. It's still streaming on HBO Max. It's on HBO. Uh, I would watch that today if you can. And I'm surprised it's still there because I thought that they would yank it. Um, but apparently they have not yanked it yet yet um you got to watch judas and the black messiah it's based on true events um, which of course is always tricky when you consider it but that film did very well today at the oscars it, it, it finished as i predicted it would amongst the best picture nominees which i think is a really good thing i'm very pleased about that and i think it's deserving to be there i definitely would say that first time ever you've had three black producers of a movie be nominated for Best Picture. That's never happened before in 93 years. Shaka King, Charles King, and Ryan Coogler, he of the latter, he of Black Panther, a fame director. Um, congratulations. I think that's a major thing to happen. Um, I think that's a really good thing that you had that. Um, that's history as well. You've got Minari, Christina O. Oh, I think that may be the first Asian female producer to be nominated. I don't know, maybe maybe there was an Asian female producer of the film Parasite last year. I do not know. I don't remember off the top of my head. But I think that that's a tremendous achievement as well. Um, so we have that. But back to Judas and the Black Messiah for a second. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah is a really a good film. I do think so. But my issue with what the Academy did this morning was to put both Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya. Now, Daniel Kaluuya has done some very good work in his career. So has Lakeith Stanfield. Both of them were in the same movie together in 2017. And you know which movie that was. Get Out was the name of that movie. And both of them were in it. And now both of them are in the same category of best supporting actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. What the issue is, is that they are both in the same category. How on earth could you possibly have those two actors in the same category? There was definitely a lead role there. And the lead in the film was Lakeith Stanfield. Not give, I'm not giving anything away. Lakeith Stanfield was the lead in Judas and the Black Messiah. You know, there are some films where they are ensemble performances. That I get, right? But this was not a film that was an ensemble type movie where you had six or seven different people doing their part. Think about a film like Knives Out, for example, which won an Oscar for the uh, screenplay that it won for a few years ago, maybe two years ago now, Knives Out. Knives Out was an ensemble film. You had about 10 different actors, including the late Christopher Plummer. And you had Daniel Craig, and you had this person, and that person, and the other person. Um, all of them, right? They were, And I believe also, if I remember correctly, um, oh dear, I just lost his name. Um, the guy who was in, who plays Captain America. I forget his name. Um, Chris somebody, Chris Evans. Chris Evans, you had all these people in this movie and all these, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, you had all these actors. 
that's an ensemble movie. Judas and the Black Messiah is not an ensemble movie. And so the Keith Stanfield is the lead actor in that film. Daniel Kaluuya is the supporting actor in that film. So why did the Academy put them both in the same category? Which virtually assures that their vote's going to get split. That's what it seems to tell me. That's what it seems to show me. But we'll see. And I think they did that because they didn't want to leave one of those two out. And also because you had five very good, even though I've only seen... I've not seen all five of these, um, but obviously some strong performers. I'll have to watch them so that I can be better educated and so that I'm not sounding like I'm talking complete drivel. Um, but again, you know, I do think that the Academy there is a curious one, the, the Keith Stanfield, because although he was good, I didn't think he was nearly as good as Daniel Kaluuya was. And I am really surprised that the Keith got on. I'm happy for him. I'm surprised he got on. But Lakeith, I think that nomination was also for his body of work so far because he has done some really good work. And I think that the Academy said to him or said to themselves, Lakeith Stanfield has done some really good work in a lot of movies, which he has. He's been in a lot of movies over the last three years. And I think the Academy, the mindset, amongst some of the voters was, well, we're going to put him here and say, thank you. Keep going. That That's what happens in some of these nominations. I'm happy for Lakeith, though. And you never know. On the night, he may pull it off, but I don't think he will. Um, it's going to be one of the other three actors. I promised I wouldn't really do predictions, but I kind of am, aren't I? Sasha Baron Cohen was very good in The Trial of Chicago 7. And I didn't think that film was particularly good although it is on the list of best picture nominees. And I don't really know why, because I don't think that film was very good. By the way, you can see for yourself on Netflix and come up with your assessment about that particular film and whether you agree with mine. I don't think The, the Trial of Chicago 7 was that good a movie at all, actually. I think it was over. It was too long, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't think that the film was very focused in some ways. I really don't. Um... But I do think that Sasha Baron Cohen was very good in it. So there you have that. Leslie Odom was terrific in One Night in Miami. Paul Rossi in Sound of Metal, I have not seen. Now, in any given year prior to 2020, I would have been able to tell you about all of these people's performances today, right off the top of my head, because I would have seen all of these movies. But as I said, the... Oh, dear. This pandemic is... Whoa. Yeah, exactly. So that is my ramble and rave about the Academy nominations. Um, we'll see what happens on April the 25th. I am going to do another episode down the line about my predictions. Uh, and of course, I will have seen all of these by the time um, we get to that point. I'm not going to have the entire list of nominees read out. I'm not going to replay that to you. What I'm going to do is put it in a link to the liner notes of this episode. I think that's just a better way of, of using time, don't you?
Mary Ford and Les Paul. How high the moon. Wow. Les Paul and Mary Ford. Mary Ford and Les Paul. My goodness. Man, that song is just terrific, isn't it? Don't you just love that one? Les Paul, one of the uh, wizards of the guitar. Um, Jimi Hendrix, of course, the greatest guitar player of all time. There's no question about that for me. Eddie Van Halen, who has also passed away, like Les Paul, like uh, Jimi Hendrix, also a really good guitarist, but Jimi Hendrix for me is the number one. And also Prince, who's also passed away, one of the great guitarists as well. Although, I again, I have to say Jimi Hendrix, by miles of countries, uh, uh, by country miles, <laughs> I'm trying to say, is by far the best we've ever had. But look, uh, all of that is to say... Um, that was just lovely, wasn't it? From Les Paul and Mary Ford. How high the moon. Just beautiful. Absolutely lovely. On this Monday, thank you so very much for listening um, to this edition of The Politocrat. And I'm here in the home stretch now with this last little bit. And it's going to be about something very serious, which is now um, going from the frivolity, although it's not that frivolous, but it is when you think about the grand scheme of things in the world, the Academy Awards, to something very serious, which is um, the issue of abuse. I'll put it bluntly. The issue of abuse and child molestation and violence against girls and women and boys, for that matter, as well, because, you know, we've got the Catholic Church, and uh, excuse me for getting into uh, mentioning even a religion here, but for them to come out at the Vatican today um, and be saying that they regard marriages by people of the same gender or the same sex as they put it as sinful, as sin, you, you'd you better really start looking at your own house, mate. I mean, the Vatican better look at its own place before it starts talking about people marrying because people marrying is not sinful. People of the same gender marrying is not sinful and it's not sin. You know what is sin? Domestic violence. You know what is sin? The church, Catholic. Allowing priests to go from one place to another after they have abused little girls and little boys. That is what is sin. And that is what is sinful. That is what is evil. I mean, I think sin is too light a word. So let me just throw that in there before I get to the other serious thing, which is the abuse that was and that has been talked about these four episodes of the docudrama or rather the doc- documentary series, Alan versus Farah. And for those of you who have HBO or HBO Max, I have recently come crawling back to HBO, but really through HBO, HBO Max because HBO I had quit um, because of Bill Maher. But again, I'm, I'm back with Max instead because, um, you know, there's some really good stuff on there. And, and Bill Mark and you know what. But um, Alan V. Farrow, for those of you who do not have HBO or HBO Max, um, is a four-part documentary series directed by Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering. Now, both of them are excellent documentarians. They have frequently focused on issues of violence against women, on abuse of power, and how those things um, really create such a, a horrific, horrific atmosphere 
that punishes women and punishes the powerless. And we've seen that in their films, The Invisible War, which is a really good documentary um, that they did a few years ago about rape in the military, in the United States military. We've seen that in The Hunting Ground, that really strong, effective documentary they did about rape on campus and how trustees turn their backs because, of course, for them, they don't care about women being raped on their campus. They want donations coming in. And, you know, they, you know, and, and they, you know, <sighs> put it this way, Kirby Dick and Amy Ziering have done some really good documentaries. Alan V. Farrow, unfortunately, is not one of them. And though the documentary presents some really good material and very powerful material, I think that the documentary as a documentary over those four-part series is unfocused and I think it's a little bit too long. Four and a half hours to figure out, not to figure out, but four and a half hours to make the case that we all know is that Woody Allen is a child molester who should be under the prison, under the jail. He should be under the prison right now. That's where he should be. And we all know it and he knows it. And I do think that in parts, this documentary was very good though. But it's not up to the usual kind of work that Dick and Zeering do. I think that what spoiled the documentary on a point of style and cinema, if you will, or TV, is that there's too much time being given to people who shouldn't be speaking. I mean, the film critics should not have a voice in this film, and I'm a film critic saying that. I think their voices should be should have been minimal. I think that was a mistake. I think having all of uh, Mia Farrow's friends opining, I think that was a mistake. The issue here is the abuse of a young girl, a girl. She was, forget young or old, she was seven, she was six, she was five. I'm talking the she here is Dylan Farrow. And I think that the documentary got that right in terms of that, but they spent so much time talking about all of this other stuff about whether or not we can separate artists from their art and this and that, artists from the person and oh my God, do we have to watch that? We're talking about an issue of abuse. And I really wish that Dick and Zeering had focused more on that and the fact that they didn't focus enough on it to my liking. Evidence evinces, I should say, a lack of focus in general. And that's a shame. It's the first documentary that I feel that they didn't perform and hit the notes they needed to. Now, episode number three was the one where they really did actually hit the notes. But I actually thought that last night's final episode was the best one. And I'm not going to give anything away for those of you who haven't seen it. But I do think the final episode of this thing was the was the best. Now, I may have now the things I just said uh, about the other people, the film critics. If you think that's a giveaway, then I've given it away. But I don't think that's a giveaway because it didn't tell you anything about what they said beyond what I said about art and artists. But if you really do want to put yourself through nearly four and a half hours or about four and a half hours of some very unpleasant 
um, things, as you can imagine. I mean, please, it, unless you're someone who's been through what Dylan Farrow and millions of other survivors have been through, four and a half hours of this, well, it's going to be triggering to you. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be, well, I shouldn't even say, I shouldn't characterize it anyway. It's triggering, this stuff. And I think it's triggering even if you've not been someone who is a survivor. It's still, it's extremely traumatic. You know, I found, I'm not someone who's a survivor. I found it incredibly, incredibly traumatic to listen to. So can you imagine how those who have actually, who are survivors, can you imagine what it must be like for them? I can't, I, I just can't put, I just don't. I have, my heart goes out to anyone who is a survivor. I am 110% in your corner, whoever you are in the world. I'm telling you, you will have a partner here. Not just an ally, a partner who really wants to eradicate this from this planet and from, you know, and, and this toxic masculinity. One of the things that this documentary does do is show you, as Dick and Zeering do, Amy, uh, uh, Dick, uh, Kirby Dick and Amy Zeering do, which is to show you again about how power really does shut people's lives down and the abuses of power do and how that absolutely kills opportunities, kills generations, kills societies, destroys societies. And that they are willing participants of all genders when it comes to the white straight male patriarchy. There's willing participants. They are black participants. They are white female participants. They are all Asian participants. There's so many people that just because it's a straight white male patriarchy, that doesn't mean that there aren't some black men and a few black women on occasion, but mostly black men straight or gay, who perpetuate that, who join it, who enable it. And it doesn't mean that there aren't white gay men who don't do the same thing. Of course there are that, that enable this stuff. And there are plenty of white women who do. And, and uh, you know, so the, the, this is... I think Kirby Dick and Amy Zeering, I think, did that part of this well. But there's... Too much in these four and a half hours in my book that is focused on stuff and on things that I really don't think they should be focused on. This documentary was not well edited is another part problem, obviously. I think this documentary could have been really, if you properly concentrated this down, it could have been two hours and five minutes. And it could have been set over... Two episodes as opposed to four. Split it up as an hour piece, or do it as one full two-hour-plus movie. I think because of how intense this is, it should probably have been split into two episodes, one of them an hour, the other one just over an hour. Because I thought much of this series was really, really superfluous. But the issue is not. And I think that the film missed a chance to really hone in on issues of abuse. In addition to those suffered and experienced by Dylan Farrow. 
I think that the film really should have made a broader effort at talking to its audience. And that's where I think the film falls for me. If, if we really could have got a broader picture in addition to Dylan, I think that would have made this really a very effective documentary and more appeals to those who are survivors to reach out for help. And I really wish that that had been done a whole lot more. If at all, I really wish it had been done. It's just, I think, a documentary that does not go deeply enough and doesn't also look at Mia Farrow too. Because two things can be true at the same time. There's no question that Mia Farrow suffered grievous abuse and harm in this whole thing as well. But one could make a case, unpopular though it may be in some corners of this wonderful globe, wicked globe, beautiful globe, that she too helped to enable this abuse of Dylan Farrow. And there's one moment in that documentary in episode number four, which was the final episode last night, that I thought was absolutely exploitive of Dylan. And it came at the hands of Mia Farrow. Those of you who have seen it can probably guess which part of it I'm talking about. But I'm not going to in, uh, say anything more about that. Please uh, take issue with me and email me at politocratpod at gmail.com with your thoughts if you've seen it. Because two things can be true at once. They always can be because we're human beings. And things aren't so cut and dried. I'm not justifying anything. I'm not condoning anything. I'm simply saying that that is where we find ourselves on this planet. This, to quote Jamie Foxx from Collateral, the movie from 2004, this big ass nowhere that we live in, right? That, that's where we find ourselves as people. Take a look at that film if you dare. If you dare take a look at that four-part documentary series. I'm curious to, to find out what you thought about it. So email the podcast, please, at politocratpod at gmail.com. The issue of abuse is the thing that must always be at the forefront when you're doing things like this. And I think that Amy Ziering and Kirby Dick did that much better in the feature films they did, like The Hunting Ground, like The Invisible War, among others like the film that was they did last year. Um, and I think it's called Off the Record. Focusing on black women who had been survivors, who've been raped and who are survivors at the hands of these, you know, these wretchedly despicable black men in the recording industry, in the music industry. Despicable people, despicable people, all of whom should be under the bloody jail right fucking now part of my language i've had it with these toxic people i don't care what their racial background is or any of that what is wrong is wrong as i keep saying i keep quoting malcolm x what is wrong is wrong 
Now his exact words were, wrong is wrong, no matter who does it. And that includes you, Russell Simmons. R. Kelly. L.A. Reid. Just Bill Cosby. Start to call roll on these people. It's de- these these people are despicable. Woody Allen, despicable. C- you know, Kevin Spacey, despicable. Harvey Weinstein, despicable. Matt Lauer, I can go Charlie, R- all of them, and they all have jobs in these industries. That's another thing that you really get to see in these episodes, particularly yesterday's. You get to see all the people, note the people that you see when you watch. If you watch episode four of Alan V. Farrow, note the people you see who are speaking. I'll, I'll leave it at that because otherwise I'll start to give away the whole episode. <laughs> abuse must end. We must end this abuse. We must end violence against black trans women. We must end violence against women of any background. We've just got to end this. And this toxic masculinity must be ended. And we must end and eradicate a system that perpetuates and practices violence against women, toxic masculinity, and patriarchy. We just... That is the only way we're going to see changes. And calling for the Metropolitan Police Commissioner in England, Commissioner Dame... Cressida Dick to another Dick. You know, we had we've had we've had Kirby Dick, and now we've got Cressida Dick. There must be some kind of theme in there somewhere. But calling on a Metropolitan Police Commissioner to resign is not the answer here. This kind of grotesque violence that the police have perpetrated against black people forever in England and have perpetuated and perpetrated against others in England. It's been going on forever. It didn't start under Dame Cressida Dick. It just didn't start under her. What those police did to the women who were at the Clapham Common there in South London on Saturday evening was despicable. It was Gestapo. If you want... Your police, dear England, my native country, if you want your police to look like the police we've got here in the United States, you are going about it in the right way. You are well on your way to Gestapo land, fascist land. And heck, you might even think about wanting to recruit some of the people who are here because it looks as if that's exactly what you're doing. It's just awful. And you've got to get rid of this system. Not Cressida Dick. She's not the issue here. Getting rid of, and I disagree with a lot of what she said over the weekend, backing these cops, but what is she going to do? As I segue into something that I didn't plan to talk about. <laughs> I'm so predictable. I'm so predictable. <laughs> but what is she going to do? She's not going to sit there and go, well, my cops are disgraceful. She lacks the principle of doing that. She's the only female police commissioner that the Metropolitan Police has ever had in nearly 200 years of its existence. I'm not justifying any of that. I'm just saying the reality of what that is. 
And she doesn't have the integrity enough to stand up and say, okay, these cops have to go. She doesn't have that integrity. She's not going to be fired. She's not going to be sacked and she's not going to resign. She said that much. And so for politicians like Ed Davey in England, he of the Liberal Democrats, who's now in the midst of an election season because the elections in, in England and across the UK are on Thursday, May 6th. So that's just about seven weeks from now. So for him, he's playing politics with this, which trivializes the issues of violence against women. You cannot play politics with this. And there's no way she's going to resign. The system needs to resign. The system. Now, in the case of Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York State, the system needs to resign, but also he needs to resign as well. Because of what he is accused of doing and because of what I believe he actually did, which was to make a lot of women's lives deeply uncomfortable and break them and absolutely break them break them forever but even with that said the courage of the women who have come forward is it really inspires me and it just inspires me as a person not because I've gone through anything like this I haven't I'm very fortunate not have to not have gone through anything like this you know most people in the world probably cannot say that but what I can say is that these particular women, any woman who speaks out and is that bold and brave to do so in, in a misogynistic patriarchy and a man-loving, toxic masculine-loving world, I mean, that it takes an act of real bravery and courage. And I'm not trying to lionize anybody. I am saying that I support women no matter what. Um, I mean, I, I believe them. I really do. And I told you, I voted for someone who I think is a rapist. I totally think that Joe Biden did rape Tara Reid. I believed her. I believe her. I believe her. And I, and I voted for someone who I think was a rapist, is a rapist. And so, you know, that makes me complicit. You know, and I still think about that even now. It, it's just horrible. And we have to. Start being intersectional. I'm going to talk a lot more about intersectionality and everyone standing up for each other's causes, which is not happening. Because you know, I will stand up and talk about this, but then there will be people who won't have my back or our back when Black Lives Matter is going on. They're strangely silent. I'm going to get into that someday, hopefully sooner than soon. But since I have gone on about this and made my point, I do want to leave you on this Monday um, thinking about what I've said today because um, the Oscars are the Oscars and that's always going to be what that is. Although, again, there's changes that are happening and you're seeing the fruits of those labors being coming around now. You know? You know, I was almost, I'm thinking of Carly Simon's song coming around again. But but we're seeing these fruits coming around. These changes are coming. And it's been a lot of hard work behind the Academy scenes, like the former president, the then president of the Academy, Cheryl Boone Isaacs. Incredible work she's done behind the Ava DuVernay and a number of other people who have done everything to change the 
diversity and actually to make this diverse and inclusive, the Academy membership and also the nominees that we saw today is clearly evidence of that. But um, I, I must say to you, um, this Woody Allen, Mia Farrow documentary, although it certainly makes it very clear that the nail in the coffin of Woody Allen's career in, the, in America is pretty much in and good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'll, I'll drink to that. There's still some things about the documentary that, as I've already told you, I have some real issues with. And I don't think the, the documentary went as far as it should have. And again, the editing, whoever edited that thing, did not do a good job. And the whole thing is unfocused. You watch all four episodes, if you dare, if you dare, on HBO Max, and you tell me if you agree. Really, tell me if you, if, what, what you think. Not if you agree, but tell me what you think. Because I think the thing was really unfocused. It was really unfocused. Um, and Dylan Farrow, um, I am so uh, supportive of her and of anyone who goes through these things, who, survive, who is a survivor. Um, again, I'm a partner to any of those individuals out there in the world. Because partnership means that you are in this for the long term. As the construction in the background can probably be heard, I think it's probably a good place to say goodbye for now. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.